0: dog in a few hours. I'll be asleep at my brother's house. You're a thousand miles away, with food between your teeth. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. Truth, youth, beauty, fame, boredom, Adam, Nathan, Andrew, awkwardness, arguments. The Big Ten! The Big Ten! (laughs) And the Let picture just... of the podcast in which we talk about the songs. You are counting those, weren't you? I on On Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> ten's barely too much for me to keep mental track of. I think he's my like goddamn fingers. Oh, 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 oh look out. <laughs> well, you've got ten of those. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm not a math you know, when guy. Comes, when
2: it comes to digits, they're the big ten. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs>
0: they are. My name is David James Young. I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me one more time for season
3: five, Adam Buncher. Hey. Andrew McDonald. Hey, Nathan Harrison. Chills. Yeah. Chills. Then multiply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> times 10. Well we Chills have times 10.
2: The people have been quivering with anticipation
3: <laughs> for,
1: <laughs> for long enough on yes. on this episode. We are we I know we know it's late and we do apologize, but yeah. if you want it to come earlier. You could have made us a Patreon set it up with come my on fucking people. baked deeds. We
0: like the money that tingles, but we prefer the money that folds. Anything less than a gold coin, you will insult me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if this was our full-time job, we'd be up to like 2007 at least. Yeah, nice. Hell yeah. Mm.
0: We have to emphasise like... I don't think there are any songs here where we're just like, wait a minute, who the fuck is this? Yeah, these are known these these are are songs, right?
2: The, it's really worth pointing out that many of these songs made it into the Triple J, Hot top 100 of all time.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I would say 10, ten of these songs.
2: The countdown that they conducted in uh, 2009, some of them quite high. So, like, how much more big, big could year. these songs be?
0: Big year, big songs... Four big friends. One big the podcast one episode. One big podcast. <laughs> are you ready?
1: Yes. Dave's swing us in at number 10. What is it, baby?
0: Oh, you know what it is. You already know what it is. I you do. Are, I, you've I, read I read the, the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did some prep. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Jebs, baby. Jebediah at number 10 with that song that we all know and love. Leaping hard. While you left out by your friends,
2: and while you lost for words when everybody finally told you what they thought you can't give up with the trends, it makes you lose the somehow.
0: Leaving Ho I smell the morning Leaving home, Life was never good You can work it out Well, Leaving home. I could hear them through the door But people came and laughing at the way they acted When they were alone and Jebediah, Leaving Ho, number 10, 1997 Kev, if you're listening... You wrote a bad song, mate. (laughs) God, this is legit one of the worst songs I've ever heard. You should be ashamed of yourself. This is the legacy you've left behind. (laughs) Like, when people look back on the career of Kevin Bloody Mitchell,
1: (laughs) this is
0: what is going to stick out. And I hope you're proud, mate. I hope you're proud of yourself. All right. I think he's got it. I, 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 he's switched off now. We've lost a listener for life. So he's gone. Let's talk about how fucking great this song is.
2: Yeah, he did ask for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't checked out the interview that we did with Kevin Mitchell. Sweet
0: bonus content.
2: Uh, yeah, last episode that we released while we were waiting for this top 10 to come out. Excellent background information straight from the what horse's mouth. So good. Mm.
3: Such a minch. Like It was so wonderful hearing stories about all the other bands at the time that were just super chill and cool to hang out with. And also, bands that weren't. Exactly.
2: For me, it was heaps reassuring hearing that everyone who we thought would be super cool and chill exactly. and friends
3: exactly. actually were. And that's what I kind of love about this song being the start of the top 10. What's great about this year's countdown is that, like, between Jebediah, Living Anne, Something for Kate, it really feels like this new bastion of Australian rock bands has arrived, you know. Grinners as well. Yeah, Grin-Elec and like, and Powderfinger, the previous countdown as well. There's obviously, like, a lot of factors going on in terms of, like, 90s music and. Accessibility of recording or or whatever, and how things are are marketed, but I think obviously Triple J and the Hottest 100 are huge part of that, and it's really nice to think that in the year after an Australian band won the Countdown, you're starting Mm. to see so many more Australian bands populate it. It's beautiful. Like you think of all those bands, and obviously Jebediah is one of the core ones. Like. This is what Australian music is at this point in time. And there's, there's such a legacy for all these bands. And so this bit, this topping off the top 10 is like a real like, yes, this is where we're at, you know, as a country making and listening to music. And that's just awesome. Uh, we talked about, uh, Jebediah's military strongman, uh, a few episodes ago. That was good, and we all, we all really like this song, but obviously, like, this song, I think, for most people, is, is where the Jebediah story really starts, you know? Uh, Kevin talked to you, Adam, about how they, you know, recorded this, and so quickly and easily, too, after they were doing Jerks of Attention. Yeah, that's right.
2: He just kind of came in with it. He came up with a melody and whatever. Yeah. And, and like, putting a, putting a little, like, flag on that as well, um, spontaneity in relation to songs for this top 10, just keep an eye on it, because, mm-hmm. like, in terms of a running theme, you'll see. It's our word of the day. It's 100%. Like, it's 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 wild, really. This was fully a song that,
1: obviously, we all know and love this song, but it was one that mm-hmm. I definitely, as a young kid, and a teenager, before I was, like, someone who was, like, into music i've always loved this tune because the chorus is hits poppy and you want to sing along to it every time you yeah. hear it and like so as a kid and having triple j on in the house all the time this got a lot of airplay and deservingly and i just like even now like i hear it's one of those nostalgia triggers i'm like i'm in my dad's old car as soon as yeah, it comes total. on hearing mm-hmm. it it's mm-hmm. such a, fun, ah, it's, a re- it's one of those real sweet ones for me it's real mm. yeah i yeah. think you
2: nailed it 100% Nathan, when you talk about like the sound of australian youth that's a hundred percent what this song is both literally in the terms of it being made by Australian youth and just and like you know as Kevin talked about as well just talking it singing about what was going on for him at the time and not putting not putting too much on the lyrics at all and just kind of letting that kind of come out but to me the image is just like you've got a shitty couch and you've dragged it into your concrete courtyard and you're and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and you've got nothing planned you've got a a radio playing and you're sitting around with beers with your mates. Oh, man, you know what I that mean? right now. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. And you're 15, and you've got nothing else to do and nothing better to do, and of course you don't. That's Like, what, yeah. a, what a perfect thing.
1: Hmm. Uh, and you sit there and observe the beers for three years until you're of legal age to consume them as an adult. <laughs> of course. Of course. He's <laughs> like, <Of
0: course. laughs> exactly okay. every good
2: boy would. <laughs> yeah. If this song could talk, it would say, yeah, nah, good day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, not good uh, Yeah. like that it's, it's just, all it's, it's all gonna be through the nose man that's how mm. that's how it gets done it's cheeky but it has like an absolute
2: heart of gold you know what I mean
1: yeah, like I'm it's just,
0: my ears are burning <laughs> on, on um <laughs> On the on
1: the vocals, because it's super Australian, but there is something that rings a bit of like Californian pop punk to me mm. with his voice still, like that nasally thing. Maybe it's just like a Dexter Holland.
2: I just, I like, love, but just, I hear yeah. the Ramones, like it's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like hearkening back to punk and translating that sensibility That's into it, a right? truly Australian feeling. You look at the bands that have picked up from this now. The Proud... Way that now the Australian accent is shown through music and whatever, like could potentially well have its origins in in this and other yeah. songs like it. Absolutely,
3: mm. it's just such a fun song. Like the line that always, like I smile at everything every time I listen to this song. I grin on that line. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just so it's so pure, and there's a simplicity to the lyrics. And you know, like and Kevin talked about just kind of throwing them together or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Again, it's just that that punk energy. This isn't a song that warrants like critical dissection or whatever. It's just so fun and that energy is there and it just like it just speaks right to you. It's like yeah. this yeah. is how you engage with music. Yeah. It's
2: beautiful. The the purity that comes from the spontaneity that you that you kinda of talked yeah. about and whatever. Um I can only imagine how big this would have been for like kids in the suburbs growing up or whatever and being on the cusp of actually leaving home. Yeah, totally. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it would be a real anthem if you like grew up in even like a rural area, yeah. you know, oh, other God, other yeah. places in Australia or whatever. Like I think that's super cool as well.
0: I mean, that's something that's kind of followed Kevin Bloody Mitchell all through. (laughs) I'm going to call it that forever from now on. Um, Kind of throughout his entire career, you know, this coming of age story that starts with this record and kind of ends with his third solo album. Goodnight Bull Creek. I love that album. It's so a great much. record. It's okay. You, you can say you can,
3: no. I just love it he so much. He's
0: not yeah. here anymore. We can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the third in like a trilogy of like suburban kids, suburban songbook, and Goodnight Bull Creek. Bull Creek for the record is a small town in WA, which is where he grew up. And so we talk about something from those we
3: Surely, if we don't, I, I'll probably pick not, something not for the not remix. Goodnight Bull episode. Creek, but we definitely nice. talk oh. about Bob Evans. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Goodnight Bull Creek's my fave. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: I'll, I'll um, never say it
1: to him, but I respect him deeply as a songwriter <laughs> and an artist.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I've always kind of been fascinated by like this idea of kind of like an artist growing up in public. It's the same with like mm. Daniel Johns or mm-hmm. Ben Lee or any of these kind of guys where it's just like, oh wait, you're in your 30s now. Yeah. That means like when you were popular like 20 years ago, you were like 18, 19, or whatever the fuck. You've literally seen an artist go through their entire life and have every bit of it documented through their music. And you can reflect on that by going through it. And that's one of the big things that I love about Slightly Oddway. It's just a, you know, an album full of reckless abandon and that kind of youthful exuberance where it's just like, yeah, I live in a small town, it's fucked, but, you know... I'm going to enjoy it while I can, but I know that there's something bigger on the other side of it.
2: But it's like you, you, you're you calling it shit with a smile. Like, you're sitting around with your mates and you're saying, this is shit, eh? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and there's a,
1: Well, there's, there's a, a
0: solidarity s- in that. 100%.
1: It's the same thing of, like, when you grow up in a, a small town or something like that, and mm. then you've left it. It's okay for you to shit on it, but goddamn help anybody else shit on <laughs> yeah, it. God yeah, goddamn right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. It's a remarkable song, like, every time it comes on, you just, no matter how old you are, like, you know, obviously I was like a kid when this came out, but this song can just take you back to an adolescence, any kind of adolescence, no matter how old you are.
2: Exactly. Mm. I- I'm just thinking about it, that's like kind of the benefit of having youth within music. You either look back on it nostalgically and connect to it that way, or you connect to it just kind of directly because that's where you're at. Mm, yeah. you, know, you, can't, you can't lose.
0: Mm. It's beautiful, man. At number nine, this is the Radioheads, with their smash hit single that we all know and love, Karma Karma Chameleon. It's number nine, 1997, hottest 100. Okay, computer, tell me some things about this song. Oh, man.
2: Well, it's like Radio Who? Yeah, the okay, host? okay, what? But really, like, finally, right? <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about the Radiohead that have the legacy. And look, from the outset, it's probably best if we have a disclaimer to let ourselves off the hook as much as anything. Like, probably best if we don't attempt to try and give a full account of OK Computer and everything that it entails. And because to be fair, a lot of huge. you listening probably know, probably
3: have heard of yeah, OK Computer. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you may have heard There's of this. There's a 33 and a third book about it, I'm sure. <laughs> a few people have said a few things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I no, would no. wager so.
2: I guess the one thing that I would open with to say about OK Computer just as a whole, before I talk about Karma Police more specifically, is it's one of those albums, if not the biggest example of this, where when I'm not listening to it, I think to myself in my head, it must be overrated. Like, it has to be. There's no way that everything Objectively, it is
0: overrated. Yeah, because you can't actually get- It has to be. It has
2: to to be. People call it the best album ever made of all time.
0: Yeah. You can't get any higher rated than that. So, objectively, Radiohead and OK Computer are overrated. That doesn't mean they're not good, obviously.
2: This is exactly the thing. When I'm not listening to it, I think to myself, like, is it really that good? And then- Every single time I decide to go back and revisit it, I'm just kind of blown away. Like, it's one of those albums that somehow is more than the sum of its parts. It contains amazing songs, Karma Police being one of them. But somehow, as a total, as a whole, there's some kind of alchemy that occurs that transforms it into just an amazing piece of art. In in terms of it representing that particular time, especially at, at the turn of the millennium. In terms of like capitalism, in terms of like isolation, disillusionment, relationships to yourself, in relation and and in relation to the world, like it's all there, and you just get such a sense of it across kind of everything. I mean, like, I'm going to go out here and say something completely new. OK Computer, remarkable album. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, OK, so how does Karma Police fit into that? Well, uh, this was the second single that they released from OK Computer, Paranoid Android being the first one. And like Paranoid Android, this was a song that first debuted when Radiohead supported Alanis Morissette in 1996.
3: <laughs> I see why. I understand those pieces, especially... When it, they're on the Bends tour. Yeah, 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 like, OK, cool, but just, it's very... Weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the song's title uh, refers to an inside joke that the band had while they were on tour. They were saying, like, whenever someone did anything shitty or whatever, they would joke that the karma police are going to catch up to them. Just as a quick quick aside, there's three songs I know that have this same friggin' idea of, like,
1: thought police. Earlier than this, there was a Leonard Cohen song called Jazz Police. Very similar idea. Right.
2: This, and then later on, Root with Groove Police. It's mm. a similar fucking
1: idea. Uh, you're but, you know. also
0: forgetting Cheap Trick's classic The Dream Police. Yeah.
2: Well, you're talking about thought police, and I think that fits in really well, because to me, it's been pointed out by other people as well, like, it's got such a relationship to, like, 1984, Mm. to the idea of, like, spying on your neighbour and judging them and acting on the behalf of a higher authority to kind of punish them, almost, with this this kind of righteousness that you have that... realistically I, I feel like the individual in this song is being co-opted. They're not acting of their own free will. And I think the change that happens musically is potentially them breaking free and going like, oh, realizing that they weren't acting of their free will. The line, For a minute there I lost myself. But in the end I'm actually as a listener left questioning which one is a truer representation of that person's will. Mm. Um, Tom York has, has actually gone on record saying that the song to him was about the stress of having people looking at you in a certain malicious way and not being able to handle it anymore. So he puts himself in the, in the position of someone looking maliciously Whereas mm. for him, as the songwriter and as the person, he was more feeling that pressure from the outside. He also said that Karma Police is dedicated to everyone who works for a big firm. This song is against bosses, which draws really nicely into OK Computer's kind of anti-capitalist sentiments and whatever. This was the song that got me into Radiohead. And this was the song All that right. brought me into OK Computer. OK Computer, I was lucky enough to have as one of the first examples of, like, an album album. I had this album lent to me by a singing teacher that I had in high school, who was realistically less of a singing teacher and more just kind of like a mentor for me generally. Half the time we didn't even talk about singing. I was a sad teenager and she just kind of took the time to listen to me and and whatever. And like that was how we often spent the hour. So, in a way, it's kind of perfect that that person was the person to give me this album Mm. because like I feel like we shared a lot of mutual feelings about being disillusioned with the world kind of at that time. So, like, to have this as the link between us, and you know, the kind of musical thing that she kind of gave to me was, was really kind of huge. So I learned to play it on guitar, and I sang it, and it was like the classic when I was that guy at parties, like, yeah, <laughs> and everyone gathered around, and an acoustic guitar was out. I was like, anyone else know how to play anything? Like, <laughs> I, I would, I would play Karma Police. Um, <laughs> And whatever, but like, I just became obsessed with OK Computer as a teenager.
1: There's so much power in Tom York's really high voice, and this song is a really excellent showcase of that, I think. Even like from the opening invocation of him saying, Karma Police, you can tell already it's like, all right, this is going to be a Tom vocal mm. song. It yeah. is like so goddamn well. The whole band would do it really well. Like, obviously, at this point, they're really working cohesively as a band, really strongly, obviously. But Tom's voice in this song, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, he can sing. Like Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's and again, like it's so easy to overhype Radiohead. And again, OK Computer's not my favorite Radiohead album by like a significant amount, but it is a great record. And this is an absolutely brilliant song. And like it's super obviously going to be a single, right? Well, that's
3: one of the real strengths of it, I think. Like it's kind of got all the things in it that you want in a Radiohead song that you can really like dive into and investigate and have that really strong relationship with where you can really know the song. But it's a really accessible pop song it's much more accessible than any other Radiohead songs that we might talk about in this episode. Um, <laughs> just as a kind of first listen. Like, it makes so much sense that you say, this is your gateway into the album. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. that must be the case for so many people because this is just, like, a beautiful, acoustic-driven song. Yes. That The structure you already kind of know. Like, there's so much familiar going on. But then it invites you to look a little bit deeper and really engage on a level that the band are working on. Yeah. And that's really, really rewarding. We Last time we spoke about
1: Radiohead, it was Creep, which was from the first yeah. very generic record, Pablo Honey. And then their second record, which has got a hugely strong fan base, The Benz, didn't have any singles making in the Hoss 100, which is something somewhat surprising looking back retroactively. And The Benz is a relatively straightforward kind of Brit pop rock-sounding record. There's some great songs on there. But this could even be at home on there. The line between Radiohead, The Electronic experimentalists and Radiohead the guitar rock band is really blurred in songs like this where they are even though this is just an acoustic soft song but like it could definitely be at home in either side of the divide and I guess OK Computer is that dividing line right after this they make yeah. kid A and start fiddling mm. with knobs but um like this is <laughs> grow up <laughs> grow up guys I, I can't believe you <laughs> I can't believe you've done that this. this is this is untoward <laughs> David please continue the class with me
0: so I discovered Radiohead around the time, uh, thanks to the Hottest 100, actually. They got t- two songs in the 2003 Hottest 100 back-to-back, if I recall correctly, from the Hail to the Thief record, which was 2 plus 2 equals 5, and they're there. Two songs which both stand as some of my favourite Radiohead songs to date, purely for that proper discovery. And I actually discovered more about their music by listening to a Live at the Wireless Um, Like a recording of one of their shows. And Karma Police was in it. And as we've discussed, Radiohead aren't exactly an accessible, friendly band. But there is a moment where the entire band drops out during Karma Police at the end. And the entire crowd sings the For a Minute There line they become an arena band. That's crazy. Like, hearing an entire crowd... Sing it, singing it like they would, like, Angels by Robbie Williams, you know? Like, <laughs> for a or, or Wonderwall. In an attempt to make something inaccessible and something that's, you know, very, very insular and very direct and personal to them... They ended up making one of the biggest records of all time. So, you know, go figure, right?
2: The exact same thing happened when they headlined Glastonbury uh, last year. Uh, They closed the set with Karma Police and apparently people were still singing it while they'd left the stage for quite some time. Yeah. Which is just like...
3: Like
0: that's cool nuts, thing. isn't but it? But it's fascinating, yeah. right?
1: It's one of those things like, it's so funny that this album, which is a critique of like contemporary late-stage capitalism, was their ticket to stardom and mega-millionaire
2: lives. It's really mm-hmm. funny. Like, or, I mean, e- EMI didn't think it would work. EMI, yeah, right. Emi straight out said, "Like, yeah, you're going to do okay. Like, from You this, hate but- bosses,
0: <laughs> but we
3: are bosses. <laughs> oh, I won't have any of this rock and roll critiquing the structures that produce it. <laughs>
0: That's my in my voice. Sounds <laughs> <it's> very good. <laughs> Sounds like him. Yeah,
2: well. And by all accounts, the the creation of OK Computer, you know, and we could potentially talk about this a little bit more when we mention it again. But like, it was really, really messy." because of that. You know, they they deliberately were trying to kick away from doing the Ben's part two. Yeah, and, of course. You know, they were playing with all these different ideas and that's why they credit Nigel Godrich as being such an important force for this album, the producer mm. of the album, and then subsequently for Radiohead's entire discography He's so going important for the band. Yeah, he, yeah, he apparently was just he's like... Yeah. 100%, he's the fifth Beatle. Yeah, a hundred percent, he's the fifth but Yeah, he was like the person he's, who the, He's really, their George Martin, yeah, absolutely. He had the bird's eye view over the whole thing and was really able to cement it. But... He wasn't the only person that helped in OK Computer becoming a success. Here We've got go. a redemption story right here. Ooh. Because someone else who. Bob Marley? Beaver Loop.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dave Grainy. <laughs> Baz Lerman, No! Oh. The right. great man. Oh, friendship with Radiohead ended. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because, of course, we know that Radiohead contributed exit music for a film to Romeo and Juliet. A film. Mm. <laughs> and apparently, according to Tom York, that f- song was written during the working stages of OK Computer. And in his words, of the story is, they watch the film, they watch the scene... And as soon as they were done, they were like, cool, we know what we're going to do. And they went straight into the studio and kind of like came up with this song. And Tom York says it's one of the in-studio performances that he is most proud of. Whoa. And from that moment, the confidence mm. of producing that track led them to, you know, focus in more and kind of cement some of the problems that they were having in making OK Computer. Wow. yeah. Huh.
1: They can't all be... The reverse of zingers, I
0: guess, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it
2: comes to bass. yeah, They can't all be bangers? Wow. Bazers.
0: Bazers. They can't all be
2: Bazers. <laughs> so he, he made the sunscreen song, but he also helped OK Computer with Kelly album that it is. Oh, oh, I don't you know go. how to feel.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the thing I kind of have with a lot of OK Computer, really, and, and this song and the other song that we'll talk about, is just like listening to these Radiohead songs now, they mm. just feel so earnest in a way that is like kind of hard to deal with. Sometimes, like, I don't listen to this stuff much anymore. I mean, I mean what, they
0: were in their 20s? Like, no, their no. mid-20s when and they made this? Yeah, yeah, obviously.
3: I think, it's, I think it's kind of just about how, you know, music about this kind of thing has moved on and probably, I guess, has more irony in it now than it would have 20 years ago or something. Mm. But I just, you know, I mean, I came to Radiohead late, like, in uni and, you know, really got into them for a while. But I just, yeah, like, I don't dislike it. But listening to this stuff now feels weird,
1: Um, It's funny because now, like, the implication of critiquing capitalism or, like, late stage modernity that we're currently in is so intrinsically part of who you are, if you're a thinking individual, that the idea of writing a song about it is like, yeah, I get it, man. We live in a society where you blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the kind of thing. But, like,
3: you can't begrudge the head. Oh, no, no, not at all. It's an amazing song and it's an incredible album, but... Yeah, I just, like, at, at this point in my life, I guess I find it really hard to engage with it. Well, I guess that's a reason why I'm Ahead like, How uh, to the Thief was the last
1: time I wrote politically. Yeah. Like, explicitly politically. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I also
2: think you can get around a lot of that by the fact that they weren't ever trying to be political. They were just trying to speak to their experience. Mm. And part of that experience, when you take all the filters off and you let everything come out, is the isolation that's brought about and the, and the feelings of, you know, hopelessness or, or whatever that's brought about by... The systems that you're a part of yeah
3: Mm. yeah no no absolutely i think and and it's also like how much stuff has been put on those songs as well culturally like you know the the amount of times i've seen a bad theater show that finishes with no surprises and it's just (laughs) like (laughs) we get it you know like there's like a solid decade of of like australian theater just like went to the same radiohead well every single show and and just kind of ruins it what, uh, there's an episode of Black Mirror that uses a Radiohead
2: song at the end. Of course I hate, so. it, I hate it for it. But you know what? The Radiohead tracks in Westworld sound fucking good.
1: On the <laughs> 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 sound real
0: good. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. With a uh, motion picture soundtrack, in that- the episode that... Oh, Ugh,
0: chills, baby. Yeah. I've always found this song very interesting from a compositional perspective because there's an unease about it because it never quite resolves. So it starts out uh, in the home key of a minor, and then when it changes to the chorus, the key is G major. And then it changes again when you get to for a minute there, it changes to the home key of B minor. It makes these transitions and it never kind of properly resolves them. Like and it ends on an E minor. Like the last thing you hear is an E minor and then the So there's never, like, a a finishing, like, G major or anything like that. It's just, like, constantly changing and looping around into different tangents. And the fact that it never resolves is, like, reflected in, like, in the music video, for instance. Like, you never find out if Tom York fucking lives or dies. You fucking turn around, the car's on fire, he's nowhere to be seen. It's just, like, did he get out? Did he get burnt to a crisp? Like, am I gonna live? (laughs) Am I okay? I'm I'm stuck in here with a giant fucking camera I've been filming this whole thing Am I going to be okay? But it fades to black before you can find out And so there's this tension there Because you never get clear answers Whether that's in the composition Or the music video Or the lyrics Or anything like that It's just always kind of fucking with you And yet it is still universal enough To be sung by divorced men and parkers At a Glastonbury festival (laughs) What a time Yeah At number eight, it's Marilyn Monroe with the hit that we all know and love, Beautiful, Beautiful Babies. manson coming in at number eight and the 1997 hottest 100 with the beautiful people, the beautiful people yeah. as known to wrestling nerds like myself as the theme song for thursday night smackdown oh I'll, I'll give it this this is marilyn manson's best song to work with a sports montage like because it's got that same the same shuffle as rock and roll part two by uh redacted sex offender gary glitter <gasps> But it's okay, that's really, not defamation, you know. we can actually say that, because it's true, we can verify it, but this is so du- physical du- and tactile, yeah. like, you feel and it. And it's got that kind of energy to it, so, like, for a guy who spent all his time, you know, being this kind of antithetical, fuck society kind of dude, it's weird to kind of have him as this guy that has a couple of, like, big singles, like charting singles. I remember Marilyn Manson was in the charts when I was a kid. You know when Rage would show the top 50 and it would come up with just the Rage logo and it's just like, either this song doesn't have a video or this song has a video but we can't show it (laughs) because it's G-rated in the mornings. And so, like, I'd always sit there being like, oh, Marilyn Manson, isn't he, like, the bad man? Because that's all the fucking press there was about him, you know? He He was Public Enemy number one. Yeah, Seeing that shit for the first time, like, the cover of Mechanical Animals. Yeah. you're seeing that as a kid for the first time. You're like, "What the fuck is this?" Uh,
2: he was scary, right? He was ter- I was scared that as, Man- was the Manson point. as a kid.
0: Like he is to our generation what Alice Cooper was to you know kids growing up in that era. He plays on this very creepy, horrific figure, and that's what draws you to him. You're just like, "Oh, I'm not supposed to like this, am I?"
1: It's only because of the, the whole thing with Alice Cooper as well, Marilyn Manson, it's burlesque. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah,
2: there's a reason why like the album is called Antichrist Superstar yeah. as, a, yeah. as a parallel to. G- Jesus superstar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's so
0: it's, theatrical. And you don't pick that up until later, you know. It's like when you find out Marilyn Manson is Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. Yeah, every you're member like, of oh, the band. Fucking goddamn it! Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that classic thing, you know. And that so, says so
2: much about what they were doing. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 like, yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like I said, I love that contrast of just, yeah, fuck you guys. I hate society here's a song to soundtrack all the big crunches in NFL this week. It's sports montage rock, baby, and I fucking love it. I've always loved this song. It's obviously one of the highlights of his career for very, very good reason. It, it's got a huge energy to it. It's got that real anthemic nature to it. And once it starts, you're just in for the whole ride. You're just like, yeah!
2: Hey, you? can I ask when you got into it? Like, did you get into it as a teenager? When oh, the Manson,
0: that- yeah, God, yeah. Yeah, um, right. So... When I was in U7, he put out an album called The Golden Age of Grotesque, uh-huh. uh, which featured the singles Mob Scene, This Is the New Shit, and, oh, yes. uh, Doll Dagger Buzz Buzz Ziggity Zag. Um, that's a real song. Um, Mob <laughs> Scene was probably one of the first songs I ever downloaded.
3: Um, nice. yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love those memories. forget your
0: first, baby.
3: <laughs> a lot of record stores have the posters like you'll always remember your first vinyl. You won't remember your first download. I don't remember what record I bought first, but I downloaded Chop Suey by System of a Down. Hey, <laughs> wow. which we will talk yeah.
1: about eventually. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. I know um, loads of people in the like, contemporary, like alternative, dark and goth communities who still, who still ride for Marilyn Manson heaps hard. Like, and I- you're just
0: like. It's, it's 2018. Cause I, cause you don't I, have to do
1: that anymore. Yeah, because I, I never did. Even at the peak of his career, I've never heard of full Manson Records start to finish. Were you at
0: golf in high school?
1: No. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, You're I, a crusty punk. I came to embrace the next subcultural group of my life later, <laughs> l- later than high school, which is always very cool and adult <laughs> to still tease my hair and wear makeup. Um, I never really vibed with Manson, but this song, because it, it was everywhere and it's inevitable and it's huge and poppy and fucking fun. That, that like, drop D, <laughs> baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not like super gothy or industrial like Nine Inch Nails was. It's like a pop banger. It's just that it's angry. Like like yeah, yeah. cuz that, that's what's in, like engaging and like, I know Trent and Marilyn had like their back and forth kind of thing.
2: They both worked on Lost Highway. Yeah.
1: Uh, um, the, the Lynch film that we talked about with The Perfect Drug. And he also then wrote Starfuckers Inc about him selling out, which is
2: very funny. <laughs>
1: oh really? Yeah,
2: apparently. Huh. Um, yeah. I thought that was about Courtney Love, like every, st- <laughs> every, every, every song every, in the 90s yeah, every, every slur <laughs> song <laughs> in the 90s has was about
1: this, Courtney, like, real misogynist this attack attack Courtney from Love Courtney Love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The beauty of this song is just, is like just the high impact, visceral energy of it all. Like, it's not great from the context of like, oh, it's great because it's gloomy and dark and alternative and gothic. It's great because it's a pop rock banger. It's a show tune, it just, yeah. Mm. It's a fucking show yeah. tune. It's and like, it, it, it's heaps of fun, right? Like, yeah. it's it's it, it's there, and you're just so embraced by it. Like, it, you can't help but just go along like that. The Stadium Music Shuffle there's yeah. that there's that rocking nature yes.
2: and I think it's so important to to realize how poppy it is because it matches so perfectly in terms of the form of the song to what the band's mission statement was that idea of combining the glossy hyped up beautiful version of Hollywood and success and you know beauty and all the things that people aspire to and subverting that and making it the dark carnival like the 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 shadow side of that. And that's what it's doing by the Antichrist superstar kind of idea. Or making this, you know, such a, such a show tune or whatever, but the beautiful people are the enemy here.
0: Yeah. Mm. The the
2: ugly people are on the stage now. And it's such a seductive idea. Mm. To me, this encapsulates what uh, what I believe Marilyn Manson was trying to do so fully that it's it's kind of the only song that I, I feel like I the, need. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have no interest in really going back and listening to the full thing of Antichrist Superstar because I just don't think I'd get that much from it. But, like, when I look at this song, it's like, I, I get it, and I think what you're doing is really, really cool. I love... Uh, I'm going to find a quote that I found from someone from Rolling Stone, uh, Lorraine Alley. And she said, Marilyn Manson is the end of punk realism, a reaction to post-Nirvana, earnest Rock. Marilyn Manson offer total escapism as a true alternative, complete with carefully crafted gloomware, no baggy shorts allowed, a frontman who blatantly begs to be in the spotlight, and lyric imagery rivaling that of the best slasher movies. Escapism in, in music is not something that Marilyn Manson invented. It's a deeply metal idea. And you know, like drawing upon that dark side and whatever and, and seeing positioning that as being popular and breaking through to the mainstream because people are looking for that alternative, that, that escapist thing away from the, the true emotions of the time.
0: Can I just I think is really interesting bar? I want to give a shout out to a person I won't name who I went to high school with, who thought that the phrase "you can't see the forest for the trees" was invented by Marilyn Manson.
1: Very good. <laughs> Very <laughs> good. <laughs> um, the the thing with um the '90s had that thing uh, we, when you were just saying there, like the alternative being a popular thing. It's yeah. the same reason that the crow was popular. It's the same reason <laughs> 90s snails were popular. Mm. Yeah. The, like to a certain degree, it's why the Batman movies were able to be made. Like it was yeah. this like that there could be a and it's the same thing that. Like, like
0: all the Batman movies, or the, the, first, new couple, ones?
1: the first couple, the first couple, the Tim Burton Michael ones. Michael Keaton. Yeah. and it's why, it's why Tim Burton could be successful. Yeah, like yeah. it's the yeah. and, and it's not something that's new. It's this is what the market does. It sees that something that has a small base and then extrapolates it to a wider thing. There's no way that Sisters of Mercy were going to be a big band, but Marilyn Manson could do it. Mm, like, yeah.
2: yeah. Hey, you know what? One of my favorite things is what? my favorite fact. Marilyn Manson was originally called Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids oh my god because
1: it wasn't originally meant to be like because all the members of the band are like it's like Twiggy Ramirez and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, that's right it's it's a supermodel or pop cultural idea and a a serial killer funnily enough
0: it's the same trajectory as Alice Cooper Mm. where like Alice Cooper started out as a band and then Vincent Furnier took on the persona of Alice Cooper, and it became a solo thing.
3: Yeah, they it had yeah. tons of things, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, I don't like Marilyn Manson. I've never been interested. Like, honestly, you talking about that, I was like, man, this makes me really want to, like, be interested in this artist. Because I was just like, this is, this is great. <laughs> I'd be impressed if you were, to be honest. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, sometimes I can impress us. Um, look, <laughs>
0: wait, go... Go stream, lest we forget. It's got all the big hits on okay. it. I think there's some of the like genuinely best like '90s alt rock stuff in there. Yeah, it Would yeah. be
1: incredibly fucking funny to me, man, if in your late 20s you got into <laughs> Marilyn Manson shirt, everything, like, seriously, dyed you, hair.
0: seriously
3: into Marilyn Manson. Oh my oh, god, that would like, be, be so man. fucking funny to me. I worry that man. I can't seriously get into anything anymore though. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that where we're at? Yeah. Like, as, as people, so like from when I was a teenager through, like the aesthetic just jars with me and I don't like it because that kind of hyper edgy aesthetic, even though I, I appreciate that it's making a point I'm just like my gut is to just resist and not engage with that at all yeah and the music never really grabs me and this song even like I would never go to this, but the thing is when, when this song is like used in a TV show or a movie or even like in a sporting montage yeah and whatever it's paired with lets me forget the aesthetic and and the sort of, you know, the goal of of the artist, then it's just like, yeah, this song is incredible and it's so much fun and I can give myself to it once I can, you know, once I'm distracted by not having to worry about all the other stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's, it's great. Separating the art from the artist in the pettiest possible <laughs> yeah, way. I, like, I guess. He's not problematic. He's just something. No, I just know. don't like him. Yeah. But if you distract me with, you know, some bloopers, some sporting yeah, bloopers yeah. to this song. I'll yeah. be like, "What a great There's song!" Not- some dudes yeah. getting owned while surfing. <laughs> that like, sounds ah,
0: great. No, see- <laughs> the
2: beautiful people, fuck them. To me, that's kind of like a weird reverse engineering because the aesthetic was just so much a part of everything that Marilyn Manson did. Yeah, yeah. to the like to the point where like they were banned from playing in three U.S. states. There was legislation passed. These guys went on trial in the same year, November 1997, right? Um, Because they wanted to know... They wanted to determine the effects, if any of Marilyn Manson's music on listeners.
1: That's the thing. There was, like, right? the sincere panic, in the same way that yes. Dungeons & Dragons had sincere mm. panic. Like, uh, that's like famously, like, when it's like turns out that the Columbine kids were Marilyn Manson listeners, and then it was like, uh, well, it, it must have been the metal.
3: Yeah. So, like-
2: but Hectic, like, this band is on trial, right, and they actually are bringing out people who have lost children to suicide and having them testify the parents' belief... Mm. That the music contributed to that—it's insane, man. Like, so the, cooked. The, the other thing that I discovered was like the the rumors that were going around at the moment, um, about what was happening in the band's live show—like wild stuff that could not be possibly true, like satanic rituals and bestiality and like on-stage drug abuse, not
3: and uh, on, on stage mutilation happen. of cows and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, like they're not doing that. But <laughs> it's like, but then, but then also, it, it's kind of like when we were talking about who were we talking about with the t-shirts, Eric. Corn, corn. Eric. Like, Eric loved Manson as well. Yeah, surely, like, yeah, Because, like, because Manson courts that. Like, yes, obviously, there's absolutely. a point. You know, when you're getting in parents of of kids who have killed themselves to testify, that's like, all right, this is not really what this should be about. But even that is is kind of proving their point in a way. Yeah. of just how messed up this system is. Yeah, yeah. That people are going to react in this way and just like you know so violently overreact to a band. Making music that some people are into, like, and also like, like a mainstream band yeah. with a major record label, like. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's the thing because it can't it can't function like it, they, it couldn't be panic if it was an alternative exactly. band. exactly. Yeah. The outrage machine doesn't work if it's not something that is in the media that that has you know these really edgy music videos and everything that like the point of outrage has to be accessible otherwise it, no one cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, remove the Rubbles like dick. <laughs> Is, that, Is true? that true? It's, it's not true. It's no, okay. it's not I, I, true. L- I
1: love that rumor, though, man. We've it's all been so... to high school.
3: We've all heard that <laughs> rumor. It's so,
1: it's so how funny that rumor how proliferates. How so... That rumor, yeah, was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible. urban myth. Honestly, it's, it's the same
0: a- one that was like he used to be in the he was the kid in the Wonder Years. Yeah, honestly, it's, like, st- it's amazing. Still funny
1: now. It's st- <laughs> it's still funny to say Marilyn Manson removed a rib, it's like his own dick. It's very funny.
0: Tom Walker, um, <laughs> a really great Sydney comedian, had a bit in his um uh his special last year where he like was talking about like revealing truths and like he had this bit where it's was just like shock rocker Marilyn Manson removed a rib in the nineties <laughs> so he could. His own rib.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very good. Very good Alright, coming in at number seven, it's the return of Radio Birdman with another classic from their hit Arsenal that we all know and love. This is their cover of Black Sabbath's Paranoid. It's a bit now. This I'm, is a I'm good video. Really yeah. I'm really behind this yeah. bit. Android, number seven, nineteen ninety-seven, Hottest 100, Triple J, Andrew, McDonald, like a pig, on a stick, smoking antibiotics. <laughs> Something like uh, that. Sorry, my computer's malfunctioned. It's, it's got all the lyrics wrong.
1: This is my favorite song from OK Computer. I'm sure it's a lot of people's as well that's fair very bold move from Radiohead this was the first single from the record as you mentioned before Adam coming Yo, off the back of the band. Co- like this yes. like nearly seven minute long uh, it's a rock opera right it's mm. four mini suites yeah like
2: all written by different members of the band yeah even each better. part composed individually yeah yeah
1: very cool. cool. Of all the songs on Ok Computer that express that kind of modern ennui in the face of a changing technological capitalist-driven society, this is the one that I think best articulates their thesis statement. It was inspired by um, a night that Tom York had. He had, just had a terrible night in LA, which is easy to do. Then I know someone, from experience. <laughs> City um, of
0: Angels and it's all cracked <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> he had a bad night in a bar and he said someone spilled a drink on a woman. It sounds like she might have been high on something because she just went okay. absolutely, yeah, went absolutely ballistic, and like he saw this rage and like this paranoid fear in her eyes when she was attacking everybody in the bar. It was like it didn't look human. He said he couldn't sleep and he was like sitting at home just like racked with like this anxiety about modern people because he's a sensitive weirdo. And then he wrote part of the song about that, and that's yeah. where the. Um from um one of the best lines. Uh, one of the inside. best lines. Also, this song has one of my all-time most torturous Mondegreens, um, which if you don't know Mondegreen, a misheard lyric. I thought for ages at the start of the second part of it, where when he says addiction makes you look pretty ugly. Years, I knew it was this shirt makes you look this pretty ugly. Look yeah. And I
3: prefer that. <laughs> I think it like, like I thought it was this shit.
1: Yeah, this shirt makes you look pretty ugly. It still works in the thesis of the song. Yeah. yeah. I'm not
3: gonna lie.
0: Yeah. Up until 20 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I thought that was the lyric. Yeah. But anyway,
1: addiction makes a <laughs> pretty ugly still also a very good line. Um yeah, this has got some of I think Tom's best lyric writing. Like just like the, the encapsulation of it also wonderful. But like as I said before, and like I know each part was written by different members of the band, but what Radiohead do over their career, what they've done, and as they've become more like the electronic stuff is the Tom York material and the orchestral sweepy stuff is the Johnny Greenwood material. It's the difference yeah. between King of Limbs v. Moonshaped Pool. But at this point, they're all working so goddamn cohesively. And when when it does change into the heavier bit there, it's like, you don't remember! And it's like, oh, fucking hell oh, man bang, oh, yeah, we're, we're, and, it's and, on for and, young oh, and old now and just gets, like,
3: the anger is just so palatable right it's, it's just like it's, the best parts of the bends that, that you yeah they have <laughs> sort of be like we're gonna leave this behind but we're gonna actually be like mm. the, the very best bits we're gonna keep with yeah. us and then it just goes bunter I'm more
1: enamored with their electronic material but for their guitar based material this is as absolutely good as it gets to me oh, this is my one of my absolute favorite Radiohead songs the multiple moving parts is so great I always love it and like to com- make what is essentially a four part rock opera and connect to seven minutes and that's your first fucking single after you're releasing like fake plastic trees yeah. is
0: baller yeah. Right. Yeah, this a, is the thesis the statement same, for new Radiohead it's, it's the same confidence that Queen had with Bohemian Rhapsody
2: Turns out that that was one of the inspirations behind there you go. this.
0: To have been, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, obviously. The,
2: the quote from Johnny Greenwood when they're talking about the process of making OK Computer is, we were trying to emulate a bunch of really good bands and just missing. Which is just a wild That's way good. to look at the composition of the album, which seemed, you know, when you look, actually go back and look at the story, really haphazard. And that plays into this song because apparently it started as a joke. Nice. Love which jokes. is just good. bizarre to me because when I listen to this song... This is dangerous. I think that only landed fully for me
1: the I last time I heard. I can't imagine anyone it. in
0: Radiohead having a sense of humour. to Be perfectly honest. <laughs> but so, like, but the, the, yeah. the lyrics
1: in this are funny, right? Like, there's funny lines that, are like, kind in, of, like, but darkly then you have funny.
2: The panic, the vomit, God loves his children. Like, that's that gives me fucking chills, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, when I listen to it, I fully think of the the white collar office worker who hates his job but is powerless to get out of it, and the emotions that he goes through this existence from day to day. It's 100% day. that, right? This, yeah. is, this is the guy who, like, you know, and not making light of the situation at all, but th- this is how dangerous I think the song is. Like, he has thoughts about bringing a gun to work. Yeah, I, mean, what I mean, when I'm
1: king, like, you will
3: be first against the wall. It's, it's right there. It's like- all,
1: and your opinion, which is of no consequence at all. Tom York has said, like, in reality, he's saying that his opinion has no consequence. That's the thing, right? It doesn't matter how goddamn depressed and crushed you feel in your shitty job, and you say to yourself, man, when I'm in charge... I'm lynching landlords. That's what's happening, and like, that, like you are first against the fucking wall. You're exploiting bosses, and your opinion doesn't fucking matter. But me thinking that—that's what doesn't matter, matter because people have been thinking this for a long goddamn time, and the system repeats itself. Yeah, like- and
2: so does the process of thinking these things throughout the course of your day because you're just in a loop. As much as you're stuck in the routine of your action, those actions create stuck thoughts as well. And I think that represents it really well in the way that you know the different parts just kind of like their emotions that come and go. Oh, and none of them mm. are really positive. No. You know, the best you get is resignation. The dust and the screaming. Then the uppies networking. That yeah, line, yeah. Like, so absolutely bizarre that this t- was a joke. And it started again like Karma Police as being workshopped when they were supporting Alanis Morissette and apparently they just did the dumbest stuff they could possibly do <laughs> on stage at the time, doing like a rave section. Because before the song was cemented in terms of what they actually wanted, they had just bits. It was just this weird kind of mashup song. Yeah, yeah. And so they would like bring out a- an organ or there'd be a rave yeah, section gl- or there'd just be like glockenspiels and just the, like... The
1: things- longest recorded version they had of it, which is not released or anything like that, but they, they said that at, at one point it was 14 minutes long. and had like these (laughs) longer sections. Like I would love to hear that fucking version man. (laughs) Tom email me the mp3 I know you're listening.
3: But also yeah I mean props to for them for managing to even get it down to this and turning that into such a successful song. Mm. Tom was saying like he when releasing it as a lead
1: single he said like he felt bad if someone was working in a shitty manufacturing job in a factory not in a way that was like, I feel it's dangerous for them to hear it, blah, blah, blah. Not like in a class or, swear or anything like that. He just said he felt bad thinking that that person's going to hear this song and be like, oh, man, fucking hell, my life really is a piece of shit, isn't it? Like mm. he just had this like guilt complex over fuck. it. Yeah, Yeah.
0: That's a really kind of lovely thought in a way. Totally. Uh, again, this was another song I discovered through them performing it live on that live at the wireless and then it got picked on Rage a lot because have you seen that fucking video? Heaps good video. Right? It's next level. And as... Lame and nerdy as this will sound, my love of it was properly accentuated when, uh, Australian comedy group Tripod did a cover of it. Mm. Uh, literally an acoustic guitar, three voices and an egg shaker. They were able to replicate all of the key elements of this song. A lot of it a cappella because all three of them are like ridiculous vocalists. Having it kind of broken down that way made me ap- appreciate every bit a little bit more. It was, a song that's kind of survived the test of time for me throughout their career. It's a song that I always come back to because there's always little bits that I pick up on that I I never notice in in previous listens. For example, that fucking lyric. (laughs) Um, It's just a really fascinating song that just yeah, again, has no real uh, resolution. It just keeps spiralling and spiralling and, like, jolting and jumping and going into all these different tangents and, like, the fact that those things come together so seamlessly but you're always kind of left wondering at the end. Like, even though it has that definitive ba bam you're just like... This could have gone on for another like twenty fucking minutes, for mm, all I know. Yeah. you
2: know? I love that link that you're drawing. The lack of resolution that exists in the tracks of OK Computer. I wonder yeah, if that's partly. Thing, I'd, I'd say. I wonder if that's partly like being left wanting by that <laughs> album is partly what's made it so enduring yeah maybe
0: would any of you say that this is your favourite Radiohead song not my favourite
1: of all time because
0: Idiotech exists Idiotech yeah
2: (laughs) but I will say that the one time I was lucky enough to see Radiohead live this was probably the standout we saw them on the same tour 2012 Uh, Yeah, it would have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they don't come that often. They don't, yeah. (laughs) This is a final note. The title, Paranoid Android, taken from. Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. Yeah, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What I know was OK Computer is as well. That's actually a quote from Zaphod Beeblebrox, the full quote being OK Computer, now give me manual control. And I love knowing that because that adds a lot, I think. Yeah, it's good. It's it's another little layer in there as well. And just to cap off the promise I had about these songs making it into the all time. Two thousand and nine Triple J Hottest One Hundred. This one number five. Yeah, they're moving up. Seven mm. to 5
1: oh, yeah, Who knows right. what the future holds for these young lads?
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be a star, kid. Yeah. Ones to watch. <laughs> all right, folks. A uh, bit of bit of local flavour for this next one coming in at number six. It's Blinky Bill uh, with a, his timeless classic that we all know and love. Damn it! Don't call me Wombo. <laughs> me wombo oh, bitch, <laughs> <laughs> bitch. Blink one eight two, depending on which part of the world you are from. Hmm. Uh, Coming in at number nine, it's a it's a common thing. Yeah, I just
3: I just really need to know like who uses what. uh,
0: Well, America Uh uses Blink one eighty two. Okay. Um. So in North America, they've always been known as Blink one eighty two because that's how they've introduced themselves. But for whatever reason, that hasn't translated to Australians and British people. We've always called them Blink one eight two for some reason.
1: Huh. Huh? I, mean, I just can't I, I, even. I don't know what
3: I use. Yeah, so, <laughs> I just like, <laughs> just was like Blink One Eighty Two. I use Blink One Eighty
0: Two now. Yeah, but like growing up, they were. Like, it was either Blink or oh, have you got the new Blink One Eighty Two? Blink One
2: Eighty Two. I think blink I've. One Eighty Two. I think I'm pretty safe saying I've always said Blink One Eighty Two.
3: I reckon it's probably like an 80-20 split. One eighty two, and But I'm sure I've said 182 before. You yeah. know that
2: thing that happens when you say a word so much that it loses all meaning? Uh-huh. Yeah. Their, their band name is broken to wow. me now. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just from the last couple of minutes. Probably a good time to bring up the fact that um, they added 182 at the end of their name, only to differentiate themselves from another band called Blink. Yeah. And it means nothing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> they came up with so a bunch of different stories. Um, all this suffering good. is meaningless. Mm-hmm. My personal favourite excuse for... Why they picked 192 was that it is the amount of times that Al Pacino says fuck in Scarface.
2: That's <laughs> nice.
3: a great one. It's pretty good. You cockroach. I, uh, I remember in high okay, school... Okay, I'm
0: reloaded!
3: <laughs> or maybe even like, whenever they're around. I remember like some kid trying to tell me that D12, mm. the name D12, was because they... In one of their high school tests, one of them got a D and one of them got a 12. And I'm like, I think what? they called the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, <laughs> it's Dirty Dozen. I th- hate to like pull <clears throat> school rank on you,
0: but like. That's amazing. And he like, they, like, they were Dirty Dozen because there were six of them and they all had alter egos.
2: And then he was like, hey, but also, this thing about Marilyn Manson, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the, yeah, and right. the amount of ribs he
3: has. <laughs> Old Ribsy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: Let me tell you what
1: the, um, software brand SMP stands for. <laughs> Here we go.
0: So, Surfing uh, mates, please. <laughs> so we got Blink-182 or Blink-182, depending on, uh, again, what part of the world you exist in slash grew up in. Everyone's upset. Uh, like, everyone's it. upset now. Damn it. Brackets, I guess this is growing up, or brackets growing up, depending, again, where you were, what it means... What version of LimeWire you were using it? They (laughs) really were
3: like the DVD regions Mm. of bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) And they were our pals, so it works out. Um, So this comes from the album Dude Ranch. The album is a huge, huge pop-punk classic, considered, you know, widely, widely influential. This is the last record that Blink will make with their drummer Scott Rayner before he uh, departs, goes to college, and is replaced by Mr. Travis Barker who has stayed with the band to this very day. Unlike Tom DeLonge, who has decided to go off into space. That's a real thing. Look up to the Stars Foundation. He's way about aliens. It's so great. In a big way.
1: I've gotten really back into
0: Blink-182 in the last year or so, thanks in no small part to one of my favourite podcasts, Blink-155, which is two Canadian musicians slash journalists slash uh, content creators that have come together to review every single song that Blink has ever put out. So the 155 available songs by Blink-182.
3: Have they done this one?
0: uh, No, they are saving this for the very last, I think.
3: Uh (laughs) Either it's at the start or it's at the end. Surely, yeah. So uh, we're beating them to this. Yes, They'd yes, we are. Have to so close down suck shop. it, boys. Yeah. Uh,
0: they have done forty-five songs so far. Uh, They've only one done literally
3: forty-five just- songs. How many songs have we done? There's a cowards number there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Obviously, uh, big part of my childhood, growing up with this song, growing up with this band, growing up with this music. They are forever associated with coming of age and being a teenager and hearing that music and wanting to play music for the first time i know so many people who the first band they were ever in they covered this song you know it's 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 as ubiquitous as teen spirit or under the bridge or any of that kind of shit and i think there's a reason for that there's something about this song that has always just stood the test of time it's not anti-authoritarian but it deals with minutiae of coming of age life where you're just like Oh, this is a situation I'm not entirely able to be equipped for yet. You're at that point where things have been the same for so, so long, and then you realise that, you know, things go on without you, or that, you know, people break up, or that people will stab you in the back, and that not everyone is there to support you and be there for you. And it's like, I guess this is growing up. That's, that's something every fucking kid connects with, and that's why Blink were so, so instrumental to so many kids my age that was starting out playing music. The same way that the Descendants were to people Blink's age when they were Mm. growing up, you know? Uh, Descendants made Blink want to play music, you know? You'll go back and listen to, like, parents, why won't they shut up? Parents, they're so fucked up. Or, like... I want, I want to be stereotyped, I want to be song. I love that song. I love My to College. I know it's a great, great it's record. It's a fucking amazing <laughs> record. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's this transcendent thing of passing it down from generation to generation of just like, man, things can be fucked up sometimes. And that's, that's an eternal thing. It's weird to think of something as simple as Damn It, which is ostensibly one of the famous four-chord songs, Mm
1: -hmm. which has
0: one of the easiest riffs of all time that has influenced everyone from Washington to June Rats in as far as Australian music is concerned. Everything involved with this band shouldn't be as seminal and influential as it is, but when you look at the bigger picture you realize how many bands and artists and songwriters are indebted to this style of songwriting and this approach where it's not fucking rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a real art to getting those feelings across and doing it in a way that can be recited off the top of the head by anyone our age. The second you say, it's all right to tell me, boom, done. Yeah. Fucking stage dives, climbing on people's <laughs> heads, screaming, index fingers permanently fixtured upwards. That's it. Once that song starts, all bets are off. You can't say that about many artists. That's teen spirit, that's killing in the name of. That's damn it. That's what this song is to our generation.
2: Fucking hate it. <laughs>
0: Of course you My
2: do. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I'm with Andrew. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's classic uh,
0: it's, it's, classic. It's...
2: Hamburglar and Grimace back again.
1: Whoa. <laughs> I've got, I'm grown like, the arms, baby. I, 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 I know it's incredibly well done for what it is, but this kind of pop punk
3: songwriting isn't a front to me. This is music people who would bully me in do, high school. I do often try and peg down and articulate and struggle to, like, what the real point of difference is between Blink and Offspring and, yeah. and Green Day. And then I, I end up coming back to the, like, I think, Blink are cool, and if they were all in the same high school... Blink would be bullying the other two bands yeah exactly Probably. It's, All, or maybe not like super aggressive but like no, yeah, honestly I
1: don't you, have anything against like, like Mark Hoppers is a great person to follow on Twitter he's a funny intelligent mm-hmm. articulate man he's a brilliant songwriter and if you're into UFO content this man is going to come, come in there as well um, <laughs> yeah. and Blink have written a, lot, a number of songs that I honestly like sincerely every now and then I'm like oh, I'm putting Josie already loud and it's fucking fun as shit mm. and I know that this is also fun DJ, 100% right when you hit that opening yeah, line yeah. it's and that, that vocal is, yeah. is really well done but I can't get past this song intellectually, this is everything that's wrong that happened to punk music
2: is Blink-182. You know who I think nailed what you're trying to nail down about the difference in whatever is in your Bar Bands episode, Deej, the live one where Jay Frenzel said we were suddenly on tour with hmm. Blink-182 and the brilliant quote that he had saying like, it felt like I were at the end of a teen movie for months on end. (laughs) Um, But also saying like, now I realise that the jocks were making punk.
3: You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Kind of like I guess in the like early two thousands or whatever, when like Xboxes came out and all of a sudden jocks were playing video games. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and and playing like FIFA and and like Halo or whatever. And and you're like, you guys like used to call me a nerd. Yeah, you guys (laughs) used to call me very hurtful names a few years ago for doing what you're doing now, and that's a weird transition. I can divorce myself from all that and enjoy this song? I
1: enjoy it. It's not a bad written song at all. It's in the same ballpark as writing excellent pop-punk melodies like Green Day do. And if I could just experience it as just a piece of pop music, I'd be able to enjoy it. But the thing is, it is an affront to me. As someone who Childish as it is, is unable to divorce themselves from, like, a punk rock ideal, because it's naive and optimistic of me when I'm not feeling depressed, and that's what I cling to. It is honest DIY punk rock ethics with a leftist leaning, and then Blink-182 take the top layer of that and then just make it about, like, nothing. It upsets me on like a an intellectual level, not on an a, a aesthetic level. It's just fucked up. It's, it makes me so goddamn angry that Blink One Eight Two became the face of punk for years.
2: Okay, so your reason of objecting to it is a lot more kind of noble and and kind <laughs> it does of does not be have a noble.
1: In another word, it will be pretentious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the thing is that you have an earnest love for a genre that you feel has been co opted by this band. For me, it was a case of being in high school and being into what I deemed more complicated, better music. Uh, yeah, Yeah. Like something, something yeah. Yeah. I was just wankers. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, you have to understand that, like, I was into more complicated stuff. And this was the one example of punk music that cut through the rest because it was so prevalent. And, Deej, everything you said about being... Uh, present and iconic is a hundred percent correct this is a a monolith of a song especially for anyone who was in high school at the time that we were this was everywhere and i just couldn't understand its popularity i thought it was undeserving of that i thought it was simple and you know like i didn't understand punk i didn't understand that being annoyed by it was part of the art and thank god that the, the you know other examples of pop punk such as green day and other stuff came later on for me when I was I had a better vocabulary and more nuance in the way that I dealt with music to be able to actually appreciate that. But I just wasn't there when this was out. So it was just like, it was everywhere. It was everywhere all the time. And I hated it. And it was like shoved down my throat and I just
3: didn't want to consume any of it. So I was like vocally against it in high school. What's the story with Blink? re, I guess, like, forming and, like, labels and stuff. Because, you know, like, we've talked about Green Day and Offspring and sort of coming through Epitaph and a lot of those indie labels. Yeah. What's the deal with Blink here? Dude Ranch was released through independent label
1: Cargo Music and yeah. major label MCA.
0: Cargo was also the uh, the place that released Cheshire Cat, which was the record before yep. that. Yeah, sure.
1: By the time they were releasing Enema of the State, it was just MCA.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like they were, you know, like, grown in the lab of a record label.
0: No, no they were not really.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They yeah. kind of just came out of a uh, of a punk scene yeah, and yeah. kind of stuck around that kind of thing.
1: Oh man, I just went to their Wikipedia page and it says pronounce the blink one eighty two, that is the correct way. Huh. And that's not what we do. No. no. Yeah, cool. Oh. Yeah. It's all right, We are we're, 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 we're a nation of shit posters, so well. it's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
3: Blink eighteen too, isn't it but <laughs> <That'd> it be fucking <laughs> like my favourite of those <laughs> is
1: um, how do you guys pronounce um, the, the brand M83 for me it's M83 <laughs> <laughs>
0: Blink-183. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's like what we're talking about with Marilyn Manson, right? Like, this is what culture does. Even if they weren't grown in a lab, they weren't punk in a way that bad religion and no effects were in the 80s. Alternative culture is co-opted by mainstream culture. That, that is what happens. Unless you're like, as far out and egregious as like noise music or JJ Allen, mm. something like that, then you can't be co-opted. But if you make music that can be consumed and listened to and have pop hooks, it will be co-opted by mainstream culture, and it was, and that's what happened with Blink. Like, I think the 90s was
3: quite aggressive at that process was, as well. It was. The nineties. Like, these mega masterminds at labels were really fucking good yeah. at it. Yeah, and and I think a big part of that is is like at the time kids had more money than young people had had before, so it was easier to market things to them and mm. a lot of stuff like that. You know, you can look at movies and cartoons and, and toys and everything—the same sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. This is uh, one of the examples of a spontaneous song. Yeah, right. Uh, I can it, see that. Yeah, in much the same way that
2: Paranoid Android was, in a sense, spontaneous the as Bing well. Two. <laughs> and you know, I was, I was saying it's like a running team. <laughs> eighteen too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, This was come up with on an acoustic guitar that was missing a couple of strings, and the band remarked that this is an interesting song, that it was the big hit for them, because... It was the one that wasn't based on any real lived experience. It was completely fictitious, unlike the basis for most of their songs. Mm. Um, and so they found it really strange that this kind of like spontaneous, fictitious <laughs> story- Just
1: thinking of the fucking Quiet Two songs about like handjobs and fucking grandparents. I'm like, oh yeah, classic yeah. <laughs> real life
0: experience. <laughs> I
3: imagine that's a real like, if you are if you're writing like heaps of songs and all of them but one are about your experience and then one isn't and that's the one that's like, that's got to be a bit of a okay everyone. <laughs> Stings a bit. <laughs> get it but, you know. <laughs> that's what they found
2: connected to people in a in a big way not this guy way. not that guy no <laughs> not, um, not I'm, grimace I'm, the hamburger mm,
0: well two down fucking 45 billion to go you know like <laughs> yeah
1: we talk about them again yeah surely
0: oh god yeah, surely, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. i got into them i'm on... feeling this <laughs> yes three. 2003 the meme song yeah where are you yeah. <laughs> sadly that didn't get in uh. so where's a remix episode <laughs> um, i got into blink uh on uh take off your pants and jacket mm. so i was kind of late because Honestly, as, it, a, as that, a child that's a good pun it's a good pun yeah. and it's one that i didn't get for a very long no, time why, no of course not <laughs> i think oh. i
2: got it when we were recording another episode of this
3: you guys know dude ranch i do
1: now again probably that dude same ranch episode. has come yeah, yeah, oh yeah ranch. Right. Yeah, yeah, like huh. ranch dressing, yeah. Yeah,
3: mm. yeah. from a dude. Mm. It's not a great yeah. dressing, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, each to their own. Yeah.
2: It is. It's totally we'll don't yuck anyone's young. <laughs> Oh,
0: boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands, but not the end of Season 5. Tune in next week, where we'll take on the top five, and I assure you, We will win.